Welcome to Better in Real Life, a podcast from the Trestle Collective. I'm your host, Jonathan McGinty, and in this series, I like to have conversations with good folks doing some interesting, pretty cool things. This week, I spend time with the one and only voice of Coffee Town, Wes Blankenship. And if you're expecting to find an over-the-top personality, talking about things like possums running out onto the field in the middle of a high school football game, well, you'd be a bit wrong. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a no-nonsense kind of guy. Uh, I don't think that the announcer for Coffee Town, Max the Axe Bell, I don't think he appreciates irony maybe as much as I do. Um, <laughs> something that Spencer Hall responded to one of the Coffee Town tweets or was talking to me about it. He's, he said, you know, this is the thing I appreciate the most about Coffee Town is that there's no appreciation for irony. You, you get what you get, but the audience is probably in on the joke a little bit more than the announcer realizes. Um, so I think that's what the ways that we're the most similar and, and the ways that that character and myself are the least similar is that uh, I try to call it how I see it. Uh, but this universe wouldn't really exist if I didn't understand how irony and uh, one-liners work. Thanks to the embrace of irony, Wes has built a formidable following on social media. Coffee Town may have helped bring his voice to a larger audience, but it's only one step in a successful career journey he's forged through hard work, empathy, and passion. I had always been you know, nearby, keeping up with, interested in uh, radio and, and television news and sports center. you know, growing up. I, a lot of kids grew up and watched Saved by the Bell, and I was watching Dan Patrick, <laughs> Keith Olbermann, you know. So, yeah, um, yeah I mean, I, when I was in school at Georgia, I was actually majoring in newspapers, but I always had – the awareness, you know, graduating in 2012, starting school in 2008, kind of knew that I would need to stay nimble in my career and certainly didn't want to limit myself to a career in newspapers. And um, first job out of school uh, came as a result of a project that I had done in my photojournalism class at Georgia. Um, my professor's name is Mark Johnson, and we had a project every um, well, everybody had a project this one particular semester to link up with a professional photojournalist for the day and learn from them. And I saw a guy named Grant Blankenship working making. I was like, ha, this will be funny. I'll go work with the guy whose last name is Blankenship. He had great work. I mean, I checked it out and, and respected him um, as a professional as well. But he ended up, after we spent the day together, he ended up recommending me for a job as a uh, photojournalist, video journalist at the CBS affiliate in Macon, 13 WMAZ. Yeah, the heart so, of Macon. Uh, yeah, yep. <laughs> so uh, straight from the heart. So I um, I didn't turn that down. And uh, I'd had an internship at 11 Alive as well. So, I mean, I, I was well-rounded. I knew that was going to be the, uh, the standard for my career. I was going to need to know how to do a lot of different things. So I didn't hesitate to take a job in television, even though my diploma said newspapers on it. 
Yeah. And then you worked at 11 Alive for about three years, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And you were, you know, you did a little bit of everything because, you know, I, having that newspaper background, I would imagine was pretty beneficial because you were coming around, you were graduating right when everything was intersecting. Digital, copy, video, all of that stuff coming together in one medium. So, I mean, you probably had positioned yourself in a pretty unique spot, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't take any broadcast classes at Georgia. Um, I did have the internship at WXIA, which was hands-on experience, kind of a crash course in how to do it. But I, I continue to think that the fact that I didn't know what I didn't know was one of my best assets uh, going into TV news and continues to be. <laughs> with whatever I, I'm in today, um, I just take it by the horns and try to figure it out and engage with it, learn from people who are smarter than me and uh, give it my best effort. What was that experience at 11 Alive like? I mean, were you were you doing a lot of on air stuff? Was it, you know, sort of what you had thought that this is it? This is what I what I want to be doing right now. Yeah, I started out, you know, I left making. At WMAZ, I was the sports anchor, reporter, you know, guy splitting splitting carries, so to speak, with um, Frank Malloy and Marvin James. Great sports team. I mean, smaller market than Atlanta, but they know what they're doing at WMAZ. And uh, I have very fond memories of, of that experience. And with, you know, 11 Alive, it's kind of like – I mean, it's kind of like how high school football has that wistful feeling in your heart, you know, college football does. The bigger ranks, the bigger markets aren't necessarily more fun. I mean, don't get me wrong. I had a ton of fun in Atlanta from Lawrenceville. Mm -hmm. It was awesome to be in my hometown. Um, I'm not saying I didn't enjoy it. It just sometimes it's overrated, I guess is what I'm trying to say, to feel like, Oh, the bigger market's always better. I mean, there are experiences that I had making covering high school football games that far surpass some of the college and Falcons games I covered for sure. Yeah, you know, I, I'm from Augusta originally. And then, you know, obviously living at the, my, my first job when I graduated Georgia, I'm a Grady graduate as well, was at I was a prep reporter for the Banner Herald. So back in 99 to 02, 03, that area. And yeah, I would tell people to this day, the I've whether I've covered it or I've staffed it, I've big events, you know, national championship game, masters, things like that. There was nothing like covering high school football in Northeast Georgia on a Friday night. I mean, you'd go to I'd go to Commerce when they were winning the state championship and the whole town was there. And it just was a whole different experience. Yeah. So, you know, you left eleven alive. You went over and you started Tackler, which that's I began following that. I had a buddy of mine who he's now the beat writer at the Reds. But when he he got laid off at a job, he was a beat writer for the Reds at another newspaper. They had consolidation and so forth. And he started something called CNatty.com. And he said he had all this credentials, so he was going to keep doing it. And the reason he was doing it was there's no job out there. So I'm just going to keep trying. I'm going to try something. Tackler 
was to me sort of that manifestation. It was, let's take a bad moment, the beginning of the pandemic, a lot of uncertainty in the economy, but we all have these skills, these passions, these talents, and let's try something. What, what was sort of the genesis of, of that? I, I know you've moved on from it, but, but what was the genesis of Tackler? So when 11 Alive decided not to renew my contract, um, it was in November, this was my first month uh, of unemployment, right? And mm-hmm. nobody is hiring a sports anchor in the middle of the NFL season and, you know, the end of college football season, you know, you've got your talent secured before November. So I wasn't going to get hired in the holiday season. I knew that. Um, then the pandemic happened and no one was hiring sports reporters then either. Uh, they were doing the opposite, letting them all go. So I and John Michaels, formerly of 92-9 the game at that point, mm-hmm. now with 680 the fan, Jason Butt, mm-hmm. who was who had been writing for gosh, he's got such such a long resume. Where was yeah. he? He'd been writing for AJC. Yeah, I think he no, was... he started writing for the AJC. He was with the Making Telegraph. That's right. Um, covering Georgia. So yeah, you're right. Like it was like, hey, we got a TV sports guy, we got a radio sports guy, we got a print journalism sports guy. You know, probably not going to make any money, but let's form something that keeps us together, build a social media presence, build a community that believes in us, knows our reputations. And let's let's see what we can turn this into. Um, it was a massive success because within months of it starting, John had a job at 680 and Jason had a job with the AJC. And uh, oh, he had been with the athletic. Right. Yeah. Uh, but but he got a job with the AJC and uh, a, a part time job with UGA Sports. So both of our two thirds of our talent got hired right away. So I continued to maintain it was one of one of the greatest entrepreneurial endeavors ever. Um, I got a job not in sports media, but a full time job uh, with a uh, messaging branding agency called Pitch Maps. So mm-hmm. not in the industry at all, but it was a full time job, um, had a six month old at the time. You know, I didn't really care that I wasn't working in sports. I was glad to have a regular paycheck. So that's kind of what happened to Tackler. That didn't really work out um, the way that we probably wanted it to or, or had goals for it to work out. But I'm an entrepreneurial guy. Wait for this truck to pass. This, it's just ambiance. That's all it is. Yeah. It's just so nice outside today. Um, I'm an entrepreneurial guy at heart. And whether it worked out or not, I knew that I was getting reps. I was getting my feet wet. I was all the cliches. I was understanding what it took to take something from the ground up, build a community and have people believe in it. Um, I mean, we had 2000 Twitter followers within a month, I think. Right. Probably more, probably took a little bit longer than that. Um, But yeah, I mean, I still think about that, you know, like if we really, if we really had, all the time, all the resources, all the buy-in. And I'm not, I'm not criticizing them for taking full-time jobs. I mean, that was right. the goal, right? That was sure. what we all wanted was to get full, have full-time jobs again, 
And if this happens to make money over the long term and we have a legitimate company, then we're all in. But um, it just didn't play out that way. And, and none of us are upset about that. Um, but it was an experience that we all learned a lot from. And I still think about often um, because right now my full time job, I'm a talent and content producer for a startup that just happened to have a lot more financial support out of the gates than, than we did at Tackler. <laughs> um, but I still think about that startup mentality and uh, it just changed my mindset in a way that I don't know. I don't know if I would know how to think that way if we hadn't tried Tackler out. Tackler served as a real-world laboratory for Wes, enabling him to try out different ways to build audiences, craft content, and engage with people on his social media channels. It also gave him a chance to take that nugget of an idea for Coffee Town and share it with a growing and receptive community. I actually started Coffee Town the November um, of, ni- of 2019. Okay. Um, so that was right after I'd left 11 alive, but I was at tackler. Yes. Promoting the second season, so to speak of coffee town videos while I was at tackler. So yeah, I mean, coffee town definitely grew while tackler was, was part of my professional equation, no doubt. So, I mean, I have a million questions on Coffee Town because it's one of my favorite things of uh, when you sh- when you release that each each week. So that starts in in 2019. Yeah, you got a good following on Twitter anyway, so you got a lot of folks. And you, you know, somebody like me who spent four years covering high school football, I'm listening to that, thinking, "Oh yeah, I, I know exactly what he's doing here." Um, were you surprised at how quick it took off? I mean, it seemed like it just you talk about the definition of a viral phenomenon. Coffee Town seems to be it. Uh, yeah, I was very surprised. Um, <laughs> you know, the thing about Coffee Town was was that it it had been rattling around in my mind for a lot longer than than a lot of people probably realize. Um, when I started at WMAZ as the photojournalist, I was still tasked with shooting at least one high school football game every Friday. Mm-hmm. So. You know, I'm getting in my car, driving to the game, hearing the pregame shows, leaving at halftime, hearing the halftime show, AM dials fading out to a different game, showing up, leaving that game, listening to it, and then other games on the drive home uh, or to, to the news station, I meant to say, uh, to edit the highlights. So that's a lot of saturation of, of high school football radio. You know, I grew up listening to Larry Munson every Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I knew the impact of that medium. And I'd also always admired the career of Louis Grizzard, who had the uh, ability and skill set to not only be a columnist for the Atlanta Journal uh, and the Constitution. Um, I think he wrote for both. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. But he... Uh, he was able to go and, and have like a stand-up comedy career and sell out theaters and tell stories mm-hmm. and uh, release CDs, you know, write books. So I never was thinking like, man, I want to be a stand-up comedian. But I did wonder, you know, if I wanted to have a career that kind of looked like Grizzard's, what would be a stand-up routine 
that people would would laugh at. And uh, I, I thought since I started at WMAZ that this high school football radio character that over celebrates the home team's three yard gain and really underplays the rival team's winning touchdown uh, things that you hear on the on the radio for a high school football team. I thought that kernel of an idea. I thought that would be pretty funny. And when my contract wasn't renewed, I had a little bit more creative freedom. I felt I had nothing to lose. Um, one night after working out in, in the parking lot of an L.A. fitness, um, I worked out in the L.A. fitness, not in the parking lot. I was sitting in the parking lot in my car. <laughs> I'm glad and, you clarified. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was just like, all right, let's let's let it rip. And the wired headphone, the microphone on the on the Apple headphones uh, sounded really rattly kind of like one of those old radio radio mics would incidentally. And so I just thought, man, this is a perfect fit. And I was experimenting with TikTok at the time. And I still really don't know how it works. The algorithm blows my mind, but uh, <laughs> it was really a great resource because I could shoot a joke, a one-liner, make up a name, make up a highlight, make up a fake sponsor at halftime. And if I didn't like it or I didn't think it was that funny, I could delete it and re-record. Mm -hmm. So kind of gave me that immediate editing capability that I needed to do something like that. And I made a couple of them. You know, the people that were pulling for me after losing my job, I could tell were like patting me on the back and stuff. But then Ryan McGee ended up sharing one of them, retweeting one of them. And, and then they put it on Marty and McGee. Uh, as part of their in-studio show and then one of them that I released was the Friday before Georgia played Texas A&M in Athens and mm -hmm. SEC Nation was coming to town and uh, they I, I can't really remember how it all went down Marty tweeted like hey if you're if you're around get your ass up here tomorrow and I was like haha okay and he was like no really do it so I, I did and I waited in the rain um, with Johnny Joey Jones, who works for Fox Sports or Fox News. Um, and he was around the set. They had him on towards the end of the show. And I still wasn't entirely sure they were going to bring me on. With about two minutes left, they kind of waved me up. And I had no idea that it was going to happen. Um, just really had no idea what to expect. But it, it still just blows my mind because I did not expect it to, to get to that level. I did not expect that many people to react to it. I thought it was just a regional thing, but I had people from all over the country responding to it, retweeting it and all that stuff. So I felt like I tapped into something that is part of our American uh, culture and something that united a lot of people and made them laugh and made them smile and, uh, still blows me away that that's the reaction it's had and continues to have. Well, I mean, it it is, I mean, like you said, driving to the games, I remember, I mean, again, I pull commerce again, I'd listened to WG GCL and there was a, I, I'm embarrassed. I can't think of his last name, but it was two brothers, Don and Gerald, and they were the hosts of the commerce radio program and they'd been doing it for X number of years. And it, 
there are moments when you do coffee town, I'm like, shoot, that's, that's commerce football right there. So, you know, what, um, you know, what goes into without getting too deep into your creative process, like what, what's your process for thinking this is what this week's installment is going to be. Do you kind of map all that out at the beginning of the season? Is it, I just, all right, I got to put one out here on a Wednesday or a Thursday. So I got to, I got to work on something today. Do you have a process that goes into that? Uh, you know, all year, like winter, spring, summer, I'm thinking of jokes and one-liners and names, sponsors and that kind of thing. And I just kind of make a note of it, you know, rough, rough note. And I don't know, I don't get too detailed. Um, I have like a general sense of what's going to play out over this span of however many videos I put out there. And, uh, just try to put it all together in a way that has a good flow, good story arc, but it's funny, you know, clever, all the things that I know coffee town fans enjoy, but still try to include some surprises in there every now and then. And uh, it's just a, it's a balancing act. But the one thing I keep telling people is that I can't jump the shark on this content. It can never right. be too unrealistic. Uh, with the stories I hear, you know, I, I thought that a boar running out on the field and attacking a player would be way too far fetched and that would never happen. And then like the next day after I put that one out, someone DM me and said, yeah, we had a coach that killed a rattlesnake under the bleachers in the middle of a game and then went back to coaching. So I can't make anything up. That's going to surprise anybody. It seems like. So you, you go on, uh, you're on SEC Nation, you get to know Marty and, and Ryan. That really is sort of the game changer because I know Marty's involved in, in Outsider. How did that relationship with Outsider start? Marty is uh, a partner investor in Outsider, which is a startup company, digital media lifestyle brand uh, started by Shannon Terry, who created Rivals and mm-hmm. 24-7 Sports. Um, before their acquisitions and is now launching on three, which is coming a larger, quicker success than I think even he anticipated. Yeah. Um, But Marty has obviously a a passion for country music and Southern culture and uh, knew of my work. And um, he just reached out to me this past winter and said, Hey, I have a business proposition for you. And he told me about what Shannon was trying to start up. And um, I think larger than Coffee Town, I think, you know, my skill set obviously includes that awareness and that comedy of how Coffee Town works and what it needs to be and all that. Um, But I also have an idea of how to grow a community on social media, which is what Tackler did. Um, It doesn't happen overnight, obviously. but what it all comes down to is being authentic and interacting with your followers in a way that's natural um, and includes humanity in your interactions that unless you're being really nasty or I just really don't see it. um, I really do make an effort to respond to every time someone tweets at me Mm -hmm. and I have always just looked at it like, 
if you came up to me on the street and made a comment about a joke that I'd said or knew that I was talking about college football and you chimed in and I didn't respond to you, I'd be a pretty big jerk uh, right. to do that. And I, I don't think a lot of people look at Twitter that way. And, and I don't blame them. You know, it, it's, it's social media. It's the Internet. It's fake. I get it. But I think at an individual personal level, you know, social media has taken out so much humanity in the way that we interact with one another. Um, and at first it was just online. You know, people, it was that age old thing like, uh, you, you'd say that to me online, but you wouldn't say it to my face kind of thing. Right. Um, but now I think, unfortunately, I'm, I'm starting to notice, not to get too political here, but I mean, I am starting to notice that people who know you have a political, a politically different idea than you or, or whatever, whatever it may be. I think people now are starting to feel like they've got the, the ability and, you know, the freedom to be nasty, nastier in person um, than we might've been before social media. So I don't know, man, I'm, I'm just trying to be the flip side of that. And uh, you can't really build a community without it. So I think Marty and, and Shannon saw that that was my posture. And that was the ultimately the results that I'd had, uh, you know, it all comes down to results anyway what you're able to accomplish and coffee town built a community tackler. We built a community and outsider we're, we're building a community now too. Um, but thankfully with a much bigger team than just myself. <laughs> it's nice to have a little bit of help and a little bit of resources back there. Um, yeah. What's who, what's the saying that a lot of y'all had never been punched in the face and it shows, I feel like that's been quoted a few times on social media when folks get nasty, but, but no, I mean, I, I agree. And I find myself on t- going down Twitter rabbit holes way too many times and thinking I'm allowing myself to become negative. And that's not the kind of person that I am where I'm Everybody allowing. Does. My- yeah. yeah. I'm allowing myself to get caught up in doom scrolling and I'm getting worried and I don't really need to be worried about whatever X is. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's one of the things I've liked that, and you did this attack or like you mentioned, and that one of the things that I've been impressed with outsider is y'all are trying to, and, and I think Marty and Ryan do this on their feeds and you do it obviously on yours. So I'm glad you mentioned it to not just bring positivity to it, but like you said, bring community, engage with people, go back and forth. I like, and will respond to a lot of things in a positive way, but to your point, I don't always get a response from folks. I don't think there's ever been a time that I haven't commented on something you did that you haven't at least liked it or responded in some capacity, which I think is, is missing. I mean, it, it, there is that lack of humanity in social media. For sure. Yeah. It, it all just comes back to how many bonds are you willing to, you know, build up between people when we live in a time when it's just so easy to find reasons not to, not to have them, you know, and, I don't know. Different people have different to- tolerance levels for why they stop talking to people, why they lose friendships, why they stop interacting with family members. And, you know, I just, I don't want social media or the, the topics, the trending topics for the day. I don't ever want those reasons to exist for, for me personally. You know, like I said, unless you're really being a, a jerk to me, um, then I don't really have time for that, but 
I don't know. I like to believe that there's still some ability to, to keep some peace out there, find some peace, find some common ground and unity and uh, coexist with one another in ways that make sense and are productive and authentic. Better in Real Life is a production of Trestle Collective. It's hosted by me, Jonathan McGinty, with original music and editing by Joe Van Hoos. For more, visit TrestleCollective.com, and be sure to let us know what you think of the show.